Welcome to the Wealth Easy Podcast, your destination for insights on wealth, health, and real estate. I'm your host, John Durbano. I went from former financial advisor for a big bank to now educating people on how to plug your financial leaks and create your rich life without using the stock market. Before we dive in, please hit that subscribe button and share it with others. By subscribing, you're helping the show grow using the algorithm and allows us to get even more successful guests on the show. Now let's begin creating your rich life. Welcome back to another edition of Wealth Easy Show where we talk all things wealth, health, and real estate. Today we are talking tax. So if you are a small business owner, guys, you're gonna wanna stop and get your notepad and take some notes. My guest today is an accountant. He specializes in small business tax. Samim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. So take take two minutes and give our listeners a bio about yourself and how you got into taxation. Uh, so to be honest, that's what I studied in school. Um, going into high school, math uh, was a pretty good subject for me. Accounting is the easier side of math, to be honest with you. And once I understood what accounting really is and understanding that the backbone of every business really is accounting and the numbers, mm-hmm. uh, I saw it being a good fit for me. Uh, going through university was not really challenging to do accounting work. Um, and it's just uh, numbers has always been a strength of mine. You know, definitely, uh, you need to know your numbers in counting, but you, need, you, know, you don't come across as a typical accountant. I mean, we know each other on a personal side, too, and you definitely don't have the personality of an accountant. Uh, it's part of the reason why I wear glasses. It, it gives me that little bit of a nerd look, so I look like a guy that does numbers, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, but most people do say that. Even our firm, it's a very informal setup. Uh, the clients that we have know, and they do appreciate that. Um, anytime we have a new client come in, they always say they love our structure. They love the way our office is set up. It's a very open family style type of business. But when it comes down to business, we do take it seriously. Yeah. So let's talk small business because a lot of my clients and a lot of the listeners are small business owners. And we don't have the um, opportunity to, um, how should I say, invest a lot of our a lot of our after-tax money simply because of the government and we'll get into that later but let's talk about uh sole proprietorship versus a corporation um so for a small business take us through what are some of the deductions and things that you have seen that you advise your clients on that small business owners should be taking advantage of with the tax code for sure. So the rule of thumb when it comes to expenses is any dollar spent to earn a potential dollar of revenue can be claimed as an expense. So now whether it's marketing, whether it's hiring professional help, whether it's uh, travel costs related, um, that's the question I always tell people to ask themselves. Am I spending this money to earn a potential dollar of revenue? And that usually, I know it sounds very vague, but if you're able to argue that question with yourself, then in the event of CRA asking you the same question, you'll already have that answer formulated. Can I spend money on my golf membership and get a deduction? If you took out a client to potentially get a mortgage or a life insurance client, absolutely. That would just fall under a marketing expense. What about meals and entertainment? And how should uh, how should I expense those? And what should I do? Because I know CRA's got some very tricky rules on expensing meals and entertainment. So eating is a big expense that everybody incurs, but it's not always done for business. Usually you eat to survive. But uh, in the social aspect of potentially securing a client, you may offer to take them out to a dinner or a show or a game, which would all fall under the meals and entertainment category. 
As far as the requirements go from Canada Revenue Agency is, yes, they do want to see an invoice, so you do have to keep your bill. One of the requirements they have is that, okay, John, you took uh, Tony out today. You got to write Tony's name on the receipt. That's how you keep track of who you who your potential client was. Um, and if that person ends up becoming a client, yes, you can claim it as an expense. And if they don't end up becoming a client, you were prospecting, so you're still allowed to claim it as an expense. So all the receipts I get, just write the name of the client or the person on the back of the receipt. Correct. But like if you and I go out for dinner, that's not necessarily a business expense. What if we're talking about my taxes? Then it is. (laughs) All we have to do is talk tax. Exactly. That's what it is, right? (laughs) Like you have to be able to argue and explain what it was. And if you have a good enough answer, it's usually accepted by Canada Revenue Agency. Okay. So I know there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of accountants out there and there's a lot of typical, you know, tax deductions, like, you know, basic stuff. What are some of the non-basic things that you do? Because I know with you and your firm, you're a very out-of-a-box thinker and you really understand the business owners and and the tax act. What are some of the non-common expenses that you see that, that they're not taking advantage of? Um, I noticed that people who are not on top of their bookkeeping or keeping track of their expenses regularly because they're too busy in their business, a lot of things do get missed. Like, for example, if you operate a business out of home and you have a space dedicated for home office use, you are allowed to claim home office expenses. And the way you do that is you measure the area, essentially, as lame as it sounds, of your house, and then you measure the area of the space that you use solely for work. And based on that percentage, you can claim all the home expenses that are related to your business, whether it's the mortgage or the rent, the utilities, if you have to buy home office furniture and things along the line of that. What about writing off my car? So motor vehicle expense is allowed to be claimed. Now, the one expense that's not allowed to be claimed, for example, your ride to your office and your ride home from your office is not an expense that you can claim when it comes to motor vehicle. But now from your office, if you're going to, let's say, three other client sites to do visits, those expenses you are allowed to claim. So you do technically have to keep a track of your mileage or a logbook, and you have to differentiate between what's personal and what's business. But now, for example, if you were in the trucking business and you have a truck for business, that's 100% write-off because a truck you're not going to be using for personal travel or personal leisure. Uh, so like a delivery business, a logistics business, Uber drivers, et cetera, are pretty much allowed to claim 100% motor vehicle expense. So if if I'm using my personal vehicle to go see clients, basically CRA wants me to keep a logbook of, you know, the day, the mileage before I left, the mileage when I got back, who I saw that day, That's that sort of thing? Is that what you're talking they about? Want, they wanted you to track the mileage of your travel. So let's say it took you 10 kilometers to get to work. That 10 kilometers you cannot claim as an expense. But now you went to go see a client and that was 20 kilometers, that 20 kilometers you are allowed to claim as an expense. So when Trudeau came into power, he is very anti-small business. Yes, he has taken back some of the deductions and uh, ways of splitting income, yes. Yeah, let's talk about that because, you know, before there was, you know, the income splitting rules you could split with, you know, my spouse, I could do income sprinkling with my children, what has he done to 
to to take things away from the small business owner because I know he's definitely taken a lot of these these types of deductions away. He's introduced a list of requirements that have to be met in order for you to essentially sprinkle or share the income in your business with your family members or people that are related to you. So prior to people would pay salaries to their kids, their kids are in school, they're not necessarily involved in the business, so they're not doing any work, but they were able to split income prior to. But now they have to carry on an active role in the business to be able to take income from the business and actually use it against use it as a deduction against business income. What if uh, you know, my son's 12 years old, what if for marketing purposes, you know, I'm doing some um, photos and I have my son in those photos for my social media or for marketing. Can I uh, say I've hired him as a model and put him under contract and pay him a salary? Technically you can, right? But you wouldn't be able to pay your son a full-time salary because he has a school obligation, mm -hmm. right? So it's technically impossible for them to work for you full-time. But yes, for let's say weekends or evenings, the time spent with you, yes, that time can be compensated for and you can claim that compensation as a deduction against your income. I know with with my wife, um, you know, she helps me out in the business, so I I pay her a full time salary as my assistant because she does a lot for me um, to help me with with the business as an assistant. So that is definitely one way that you can uh, income split, uh, pay a T, pay some T four income to Correct. your spouse, right? Yeah, and then also if your family members are shareholders, you can also pay them dividends. When it comes to incorporating and small business deductions, what is what is more advantageous, being a sole proprietor or incorporating? Because I know each one has its advantages and disadvantages. So I'll touch base on both. So we'll start with sole proprietorship. Sole proprietorship is a much easier structure to set up. It doesn't require any formal registration. And typically the income that's earned in a sole proprietorship is claimed on a personal tax return. There's no additional tax filing that needs to be done unless you're subject to HST. The disadvantages of that is one, you are subject to liability. So anything that could potentially come after you could potentially come after your personal assets, whether it's taxes outstanding or a guarantee on a loan, it could personally affect you and your personal assets. So liability is a big thing. Secondly, tax brackets. Personally, the tax brackets go up almost to 50%, depending on how much income you make. So that's where another sole proprietorship could become a disadvantage, where if you have a small business, okay, you're doing $20,000, $30,000 annually, then yeah, I wouldn't say incorporating is advantageous to you. But if you're running a decent-sized business, being a sole proprietor, chances are you end up paying more tax. And that brings me to incorporating, where one, the tax rate, right? So income tax rate is about 15 16%. Uh, on your net income up to $500,000 and liability. Liability is a big thing. So now almost everything except HST taxes, payroll taxes, and anything that you've given a personal guarantee on, only the corporation is responsible for. But those three items that I mentioned could pierce the corporate veil and become personal liability. But other than that, if you have loans, if you have cars, um, God forbid, you know, somebody gets hurt at work. They can only come after what the incorporation has. So the incorporation, the tax savings are definitely enormous, and so are the liability savings. When it comes to reporting, though, um, I know there's some there's some disadvantages when it comes uh, to the the incorporation side. It's it's far more expensive to to do your reporting on the incorporation side than a than a personal side. 
you are required to file a separate tax return for an incorporation. And yes, the costs are higher to file a corporate tax return. But if you offset it with your tax savings, it's definitely more advantageous to still be incorporated. It is a big turnoff for people when they hear, okay, you have a registration cost for a corporation and now you have a separate filing fee. But once you explain to them how much taxes they're saving because they're incorporating, even the nominal fee that you pay to get your corporate taxes filed, you still end up in the green. Is there a certain threshold when it when it doesn't make sense anymore to set up as a sole proprietor? Because I mean, when I first started off in the business, you know, 25 years ago, um, I set myself up as a sole proprietor. Is there is there a level of income where it just doesn't make sense anymore to be a sole proprietor and you should incorporate? I think once you cross, once your net income crosses the first tax bracket, it becomes advantageous to be incorporated. And what's what's that first tax bracket? Uh, once your net income is over about forty four, forty eight thousand dollars, then I would recommend being incorporated because you'll see the tax savings right away. But in in a sole proprietorship, even though let's say I had a hundred thousand dollars of business income, I can still get all of my personal. I, I could still write off my vehicle. I could still write off stuff in my home. True. Absolutely, yeah. So that, that so that would lower my taxable income from the income that was derived by the business, get my expenses. But what you're saying is, even if I wrote it down from if I if I got a hundred thousand dollars of business income as a sole proprietorship, and I only wrote off forty thousand, I'm paying tax on sixty. Whereas putting the money into a corporation, I get all of my deductions. And that money is then taxed, even at 60000 bucks, is taxed at what? Fif- the income tax would be around 15%. 15%. For, yeah, so you'd pay about $9,000 in income tax there, whereas $60,000, if you were a sole proprietorship, you're looking somewhere between fifteen dollars and $18,000 in income taxes. Yeah. And then from the corporation, I could pay myself a salary. Correct. And then keep that tax bracket low. Absolutely. So now the money that's then held inside the corporation. So if if I have created some retained earnings because I haven't taken all the money out, how does someone get that money out of their business? So there's many ways. One would be dividends. Uh, two, life insurance uh, that you can purchase through your corporation to eventually draw down retained earnings against once there is a cash value to the policy. Um, those would be the two ways to essentially get money out of a corporation by paying the least amount of tax or no tax, essentially. What, what is the, uh, how, do you, how do you tax the dividend? So the dividend, if I said I'm going to take a, a corporate dividend, what, what's that tax debt? So dividend is taken from after-tax earnings in a corporation. You do have a dividend gross up. It's less taxes than payroll taxes, but there are advantages and disadvantages to dividends. Uh, if we're talking salary, salaries, you are contributing to the Canada Pension Plan, you're contributing to your RRSP limit, and any tax credits that you may have, whether it's like a donation credit or a child care tax credit or a medical expense tax credit, those can be claimed against salary income. But the corporation ends up having to pay more tax for you to draw that salary down. Whereas if you're taking a dividend, It doesn't really affect the corporation's cash flow as much because it's taken after tax earnings, but you're not able to take, it doesn't contribute to your RRSP room. If you do have childcare expenses or medical expenses or donation credits, you're not able to take advantage of them on your personal taxes. So usually how we set it up for our clients is that we keep a portion as salary so they are able to take advantage of the credits, which usually we cap out at the 60, 65,000 because that's where the maximum CPP contribution is. And then any amount they want to take after that, ideally we advise them to take a dividend. 
So even if even if they're in the highest tax tax bracket at fifty four percent, the dividends taxed at what is it forty forty eight? Exactly, exactly. It's less than the highest tax bracket. Yeah, not great. It's it's a little bit better, but it's still not fifty four percent. Correct. Now, I hear a lot of accountants they 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 do what's called a capital gain strip. How does that work? Is that, does that go against your lifetime capital gains exemption? It would, yeah. So lifetime capital gains, which I believe the limit now is around 890-some-odd thousand, and it is a one-time capital gains exemption, and um, I think that'll lead us into also people who have started companies and are looking into succession planning and that want to sell their company. That's where they would take advantage of the lifetime capital gains exemption, and there's different ways to do it. You could sell all your shares at once and take advantage of the whole exemption once, or, some, or what some businesses do is they break down the shares and they'll sell like 10% every year or 20% every year, uh, slowly winding down their business. So to, to qualify for that lifetime capital gains exemption, though, uh, you have to be a Canadian-controlled Correct, small yeah. Business. You do yeah. have to be a CCPC, a Canadian-controlled private corporation. Yes, you do. Um, you can't be involved in the investment business. Um, I'm just trying to think. There is a list of requirements, and if I just look through my notes, I'll have it here. I know C- CRA has very stringent tests. It like is. They, yeah. They've got they've got a really big, you know, I guess I call it the smell test Essentially, of what yeah. what what qualifies as as a lifetime capital gains exemption. And I know one of the things is passive income. If you've got passive income sitting inside your opco, which is your operating company, yeah. They they don't uh, that's not qualified as uh, for the lifetime it's capital not, gains. It's got to be active income. Active income, and you don't even qualify for the CCPC on the passive income as well, right? So it has to qualify as a CCPC. Uh, there's certain categories of businesses that are not allowed, and um, I think you have to have been in business for 24 months in order for you to even qualify for that exemption. So if someone meets the qualifications and passes CRA's sniff test, yeah. They sell their business. Let's say they sold their business and they had a capital gain of a million bucks. So if, if the lifetime capital gains exemption is nine hundred grand, basically they're just going to pay. They're going to take a nine hundred from a million bucks and a hundred thousand dollars is going to be their capital gain, and they pay the tax on on that, which would probably be about what fifty thousand bucks, right? Uh, or, yeah, exactly. What I tell people with capital, so hundred thousand is the gain. Half of the gain is taxable, which is fifty thousand. And let's just assume you're in the highest tax bracket. Half of that will go to tax, so twenty five thousand. What do you see are common mistakes when guys come into your office for the first time? What sort of mistakes are you seeing that they're making when it comes to their bookkeeping and their their accounting when it comes to their small business. So usually at the beginning when people start their business, they're just focused on generating money. They forget about keeping track of the money coming in, the invoicing, the expenses going out, uh, keeping their receipts, um, speaking to a professional about what they can claim as an expense and what they can't claim as an expense, running personal expenses through business accounts. Those are usually the big errors I see. Uh, What I always advise people is you don't want to pay a bookkeeper at least set up a bookkeeping software for yourself we could use quickbooks for example it's twenty dollars a month it's a nominal fee it connects directly to your bank account it imports all your transactions and it's very easy to sort uh your recurring transaction it'll even auto automatically sort them so that's the main main issue because now 
let's say you've operated your business for 12 months. Now you're coming to an accountant and it's time to file taxes and you have a hard deadline when it comes to pay your taxes. Otherwise, you're subject to penalties and interest. And now we're backtracking, going through bank statements and trying to figure out, okay, where did this dollar go? Who did I write this check to? Who did I send this transfer to? Who was this draft made to? And backtracking and trying to find records for 12 months or sometimes people come with three, four years of taxes altogether. It's very hard to backtrack and figure out sometimes where the money has gone. I noticed when I first started off, I went to my accountant years ago. I showed up at the end of the month or at the end of the year with a bag of receipts. He's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> These are my receipts for the year. Yeah. Fucking put them in order, he says. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I got you to do. Exactly. Yeah. Man, the bill I got after that. No, for sure. Now it's a <laughs> to very separate the invoices. It's a very monotonous and uh, brain dead task. You know what I mean? To sit there and have to sort through somebody else's rece receipts and figure out, okay, was this a business expense for them or was it not a business expense for them? You know what I mean? Some things are clear cut. Some things are not, unfortunately. So, so hiring a book, a good bookkeeper, is is. Number, I guess number one, first of all, if you're a small business owner, just to keep track of your books because the accountant doesn't want to see bad books. Exactly, yeah. It makes not, your job difficult because I know my accountant, he was hating me. Yeah, and not <laughs> only for taxes, just so you can see on a month-to-month -month basis or a quarterly basis, uh, are you running a profit? Are you running a loss? Is there some things you can cut back on? If you don't evaluate your business, it's very hard to figure out the changes to make in your business to increase the growth of it, essentially. Let's talk financial planning because... Prior to the Trudeau government coming in, business owners would use uh, a lot of their retained earnings to invest. And they were investing for their own pension because if you know they have employees, a lot of these uh, business owners provide employees with benefits and they give them you know, self, uh, 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 an RSP, like a defined contribution RSP, they'll match it. So they, they try to help out their employees with planning for retirement and then the business owner would take their retained earnings and they would invest that also but then the trudeau government came in and 2015 justin decided oh you shouldn't be allowed to do that and now we tax the passive income at 54 percent it kind of moves the business owners away from wanting to invest inside Excuse me, their corporation. Right. What can a small business owner do now when it comes to financial planning and preparing for their retirement? Well, the one thing I always tell people is diversify. Don't look at just one investment vehicle. Spread your assets or your investments around. Uh, I think the biggest and last, um, I don't know if loophole is the right word, but let's just use loophole, would be life insurance, essentially, to draw down the largest amount of money from a corporation without effectively paying income tax on it or payroll taxes on it. And that's basically leveraging the investment in your corporation. You're allowed to claim your contributions as an expense. You're allowed to claim the interest on money borrowed as an expense. And you have the death benefit always there, right? At the end of the day to pay back the corporation or pay back the insurance policy um, if there's no other means to do so, right? Well, I do this a lot in my business and we've done some work with some clients um, where the business owners has a significant amount of retained earnings. And we talked about using uh, either a capital gain strip to get the money out that's done at say 27%. Right. Or the, cl the client can pay a dividend of 48%. Right. 
But then there's this other strategy that is allowed to uh, get money out of the business that you just talked about, where the business owner would then purchase a corporately owned life insurance policy. And the money would then flow from the retained earnings into the policy. And he can grow that tax free. But as you said, he gets to leverage it. He can actually borrow against that and even put the money back into his business and then get the tax deduction from the interest cost of that. He gets the write-off because he's invested back into the business. And I find that this is the one thing that the liberal government hasn't tried to attack yet. I'm just, I'm waiting for the ball to drop at some point where they're just trying everything to screw over the small business owner. Absolutely. Yeah, I know for sure. How do you feel about business owners investing into RSPs or an IPP? IPPs, I think, are better than RSPs. RSPs, at the end of the day, just a tax deferral strategy. Um, you don't pay your tax now, you pay it later. But there's a lot of moving factors in RRSPs that have to go right so that you're able to break down your RRSPs and actually take advantage of the tax savings. And the way I see is that to really take advantage of the tax savings, you want to withdraw your money in the first tax bracket. But now, the way at least Canadian lifestyle is going, people are working past their retirement age, they're still earning money, and life expectancy is not really that high anymore. So it's actually declining in Canada. That's exactly it fell, it right. It fell for the third year in a row. So let's, let's just use an example. Let's say you amassed a half a million dollars in your RRSPs. You take the age of 65 as retirement. If you wanted to keep yourself in the $50,000 tax bracket, it would still take quite a bit of time for you to withdraw those RRSPs, 10, 15 years. Uh, so that if you were in a high tax bracket, now you're actually seeing the savings later on in life. But one, you have to live long enough for that to happen. Uh, and two, if you do end up passing, it's considered a full withdrawal of your RRSPs unless you can put it in a spousal plan. But at the same time now, if you've been contributing to your spouse's plan, now your spousal plan has even more money in it, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. to break that down, um, it just I just don't see there being enough time for you to, to break it down in the first tax bracket. At the same time, let's say you're collecting CPP, let's say you're collecting old age security, or you're getting guaranteed income supplement, or you have investments that are paying you dividends or interest income. I just, it's just a very hard um, uh, medium to reach to just keep yourself at that 50, 60K mark or even less so that you pay less taxes. Uh, whereas um, IPPs. IPP. IPPs, right? So IPPs are usually done through employer plans where you can contribute and the employer will match a contribution or also contribute on top. The good thing about them is that they don't have any limits. Uh, you can actually project how much money that you're going to see through retirement with IPPs, with RRSPs. It's just a guessing game depending on how much you withdraw. So if we were comparing the two, I would say IPPs is definitely the better way to go over RRSPs. Yeah, because with, with the IPP, at least as a business owner, that is actually a deduction against the business. Um, but you then have to guarantee a rate of return. That's exactly and that's right. the downside is that if you if I say, OK, I'm going to guarantee myself 8 percent on this investment. And if it doesn't do 8 percent and it loses 10, I'm on my business is on the hook. Exactly. Yes. To make up that difference. Yeah. And not only that, IPPs also hurt cash flow as well for businesses, yep. too, uh, because they're matching contributions of their employees. 
but then it's also an incentive to the employee to keep them on. So keep employee, yeah, keep key employees around. Exactly, yeah, right. So uh, you do have to try to find a good balance there. But you know, what I'm finding now is um, business owners with large larger businesses, they're they're getting into life insurance on their key employees, and they're saying, "Hey, we're going to fund this life insurance policy for you, and when you leave here, this will be your golden handshake." Yeah. But if something were to happen to that employee, the company benefits. Well, that's the risk of the investment, right? Right. Yeah. They're yeah. the beneficiary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then they could, they just transfer the ownership and they say, here you go. Here's exactly. uh here's your policy. Yeah. Take take the policy with all the the cash value and borrow against it and have a happy life. Exactly. Yeah. And uh it's also non taxable at the end of it all, right? Yeah. How do you strike a balance between investing in the business? And then securing personal retirement. So, like you talk, you taught cash flow, mm-hmm. and cash flow is very important inside a business. Yes. Strike the balance between how much money you put into a retirement plan or a life insurance policy versus reinvesting your business. Because I know a lot of business owners say, "Well, why would I put into say an RSP or an IPP?" guarantee an 8% or why would I put my money into a life insurance policy, which by the way is not an investment. It's just a really great place to keep your money and growing at 6% when I can put it back into my business and I earn 30%. I guess it just depends on each individual case and where the business is at in its life. Obviously in the beginning of a business, you want to try to keep as much money in the business to continue to invest and continue to grow. Um, after that, I would say you want to tap into as many investment vehicles as possible, whether it's dividends, whether it's life insurance, whether it's pension plans. I I think you just want to diversify all the way through. Um, you don't want to really rely on one investment vehicle to be your retirement plan, essentially. Well, that's the one, that's the great thing that I love about whole life insurance that you cannot do with an IPP or with an RSP is, I can borrow against the cash value of my life insurance policy and I can put that money right back into my business or I could do what's called an IFA and I do a ton of these with business owners. It's called an immediate financing arrangement and we've worked together on these in the past. The business owners, they need the cash flow but they also have a need for insurance. Mm -hmm. So they take the cash flow from the business, they'll dump it into a life insurance policy and then a bank in about 14 days gives them back 100% of the premium to go back into the business. Now they've actually accomplished two things with the same dollar, right? Correct. Yeah. And now that that money's gotten back into the business. So they're growing the cash value and they've got these, they've satisfied that need for the life insurance and they got the money back into the company to help operate their day-to-day business with the cash flow. Correct, yeah, and I think whole life insurance should be the larger portion of your investment portfolio, um, whether it's in your business or it's done personally, and then whatever extra money is left over could be spread around, right? Well, it's not volatile. Exactly, It's yeah. guaranteed. It's 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 not going to go anywhere where you, you're putting money into an IPP or you're putting money into an RSP. That's based on hope. There's no certainty that it's going to perform the way you want it to. Yeah, correct. And in most cases, it doesn't, right? And uh, you don't really get the chance to break them down the way you want to. Yeah. Let's go back to salaries and dividends. At what point is it advisable to not take salary but take a dividend? Because I've seen business owners where they take such a small amount of of income 
and they take a huge amount of dividend. Where's that, where's that fine balance where you want to take just enough salary and then the rest is in dividends if you're taking, if you need that income out of the business? Like the one thing with salary is that it affects cash flow, right? Um, and the benefit of dividend is you get to decide how much you take after what's left after taxes. Where I tell people is they want to stop their salary is the maximum CPP contribution, which for this year I think is at $65,000. You'll make the maximum CPP contribution. After that, um, you're in the second tax bracket and only going up from there. So you kind of lose the advantage of taking a salary now. And that's where I think it becomes more advantageous to take a dividend. You really think CPP is going to be around when we need it? Um, to be honest, I don't know. And even if you look at the CPP numbers, uh, average CPP annually in Canada is around 7500 bucks. I think the maximum CPP is 15000 annually. And even to get the maximum CPP, you would have had to contribute to it for 40 years. What's, what is the maximum uh, CPP contribution right now? If I'm a business owner, because I know on mine, I, I got to pay twice. I got to, as a, as a corporation, I'm paying the employee and the employer portion. What's the maximum? Is it 30? It's 3,800 bucks for this year. 3,800 bucks. So I'm yeah. paying 3,800 bucks. Times two. If times you're two. I'm paying 7,600 bucks yeah. each year. Yeah. And I do that even if I did it for 30 years, even if I get into retirement. Really, am I getting back all the money? No. No, you you hope that uh, someone's around there to take the death benefit from you uh, once you pass away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, it's it's not the greatest investment vehicle. Um, obviously, salaried employees have no choice. The CPP and the EI comes right off the top. But I, I understand why business owners want to take salary because they need to support their lifestyle. And the CPP is another investment vehicle not a great investment vehicle, but it is some sort of investment vehicle. So you could take advantage of that. And then the other thing is that you can claim credits against salary, right? Mm -hmm. That's the other reason why you want to take a salary. If there's things you do in your personal life that you can claim tax credits for. When it comes to running a business and operating company, at what point does someone want to create a holding company? Usually holding company is set up for assets. So let's say I'm running my accounting business. I own my office. I will not put my office in the operating company. I would put my office in the holding company. And the reason for that is to protect it from potential liabilities I could face in the operating company. So that's one, one place where there is an advantage to use a holding company to keep assets, to keep investments, to keep shares, just so that it's protected from the operation side of things. What about when it comes to the uh, income? Because I know we talked about this. The stress test, one of the stress tests CRA has is if you got money sitting inside your operating business and it's passive, it's not, it's not um, uh, actual income that's used to run the day-to-day -day operations, it's not going to pass us the sniff test no. for CRA. So would your advice be then any money that's not being used as actively managed inside the business to move that money up into the whole co? Yes, absolutely. Because there is tax deferral benefits to a whole co on passive income. And uh, that tax liability is initiated when those funds are distributed. And then from the holding company, that's where we want to do the life insurance policy, exactly. right? We don't want to do it in the, uh, the operating company. Because no. also too, I guess when it comes down to, and we'll touch on this, it's the next topic we're going to talk about is succession planning. If someone's going to be selling that business, 
any passive investments that they have inside the operating company, including a life insurance policy, then becomes part of the sale, no? Exactly, it does, yes. So they want to have everything held up into the whole code. I think you, you, you even taught me this, that any investments or any assets that you outright own should never be inside the operating company. You should hold them inside the whole code. Correct, True? yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Succession planning. How can someone prepare for succession planning? You know, let's, you know, I, I know, I know the dream of a lot of business owners, if they have kids, their dream is to, you know, have their kids take over the business because they've worked 30, 40 years at creating this business right. and they want to see it continue. But I find a lot of kids nowadays, they just, they don't have any interest in, in taking over the family business. And now the business owner, the father or the mother is left to sell the company. Right. How can someone prepare for the sale of the business and the succession planning? Uh, the key is to try to start planning early. I know it's hard because you're under the assumption that somebody in your family or your next of kin is going to take over the business, uh, which is not always the case. Um, the first thing, obviously, you want to do is get a valuation done on your business, hire a professional to do that. Um, the next biggest tool to help you save taxes when it comes to selling a private company will be the lifetime capital gains exemption. And we did talk about that. Um, and the other thing is a gradual sale, break it down. Don't sell, or if you can, don't sell the whole company at once, break down the shares, sell a little bit of shares at a time, which reduces the tax impact for you so that you're not paying a massive amount all at once. Um, obviously holding company. We also talked about that, mm -hmm. right? Using holding companies to hold shares as well before you break them down um, is also an advantage. And then the capital gains reserve. Yeah. Right. Is there any difference between different types of shares, like preferred shares or common shares, let's say? Because I know like, here, here's the one thing that I do know. Um, if someone is coming in to buy my business, generally there is a clause that they want to keep me on for at least two years. Right. To help with the transition of the business, right. um, should I transfer any type of my shares if I have preferred or common shares into into a holding company, or you know, if I'm looking at a capital gains tax, is there any prefer uh, preferential treatment for a preferred share or having a common share? Not on a sale of the shares, no. There no. isn't preferential treatment, no. The Sh lifetime capital gains exemption is really the only um, exemption you get from CRA. Uh, beyond that, whether they're preferred or common, they will be taxed. So preparation for a succession planning, if I want to maximize the lifetime capital gains, what sort of things should I be checking off to make sure that I, I pass this test? For example, like you and your wife, let's say, you know, if you split 50% of the shares um, in your name, 50% of the shares in your wife's name, you guys are both entitled to that lifetime capital gains exemption. So instead of it being a $900,000 limit for you, now you got $1.8 million to play with, right? Mm. So you can use your family mm. members as well to hold shares of the company so that when they're offloading shares, everybody has that entitlement of the lifetime capital gains exemption. Okay. Yeah. And I guess also then life insurance would come into play too. If you can calculate your tax liability, have enough life insurance there. Exactly. To, if something were to happen to cover off at least that that liability what about a trust what if i set up a trust and i move my shares can i can i multiply my 
um, lifetime capital gains exemption by designating beneficiary of a trust if if the trust owns the shares of the holding company. Because I I was I did some reading and I understand that I could multiply my beneficiaries. I can put my son as a beneficiary if he's a shareholder, and now I get like three times the lifetime capital gains exemption. But now the shares would be held of the operating company, right? Right. And that's what you would be selling. So the shares, okay, if it's a personal capital gains exemption. So if it's being sold, if you're holding the shares in a trust company, you wouldn't be able to take advantage of that. You want to hold the shares personally. Got to hold the shares personally. Yeah. Okay, so you can't move them to a whole co. Nothing. So the shares have to be held if you want to get the lifetime capital Correct. gains exemption. Yeah. Okay. Any advice that you could give to um, a person who is just thinking about starting a business right now? Should they go into... Uh, sole proprietorship? Should they create a partnership? Partnerships we didn't really talk about because it, they're pretty much taxed the same way, no, as, as a sole proprietorship? It's more of an American thing, the whole LLP structure, limited liability partnerships. Up here, um, you have director liability and then you have corporate liability. Uh, obviously, if it's a partnership, you guys will share the liability, but it doesn't really exempt you from the liability. So the but, biggest differentiator is is having that corporation it shields you from creditors and liability, and liability from, from the personal exactly, assets. Yeah. But to bring it back to your question, the first thing, if someone's trying to start a small business, seek the advice. Go ask the questions. Uh, talk to an accountant. Talk to a lawyer if you have to. Talk to somebody in insurance. Um, and set up your structure right from the beginning because backtracking and setting up a structure is always much more difficult. It's like uh, building the house first and putting the foundation in after, mm. right? Yeah, no, it's Ch good advice. Chances Get are the house will crumble. Yeah. <laughs> and that's good advice. Yeah. Seek the advice first, first from a qualified professional. Exactly. And how can how can people find you? Well, I'm not big on the marketing side. John, you know that. I'm more of an introverted individual. Honestly. Um, Who's your firm? Soberman Goldstein and Associates is the firm that we work under. Uh, I would say 98% of our business comes through word of mouth and referrals. Uh, accounting and sharing your financial details is a very private thing to you, and you're not going to share that with just anybody. So I usually tell people, look in your circle and find someone that you could get referred to because if someone's had a bad experience with somebody already, you don't want to end up there, right? You want to speak to your circle, look at the people that are doing well. They probably have a good accountant on board already, and that's the person that you want to be interacting with. Yeah, and that was really good advice, guys. If you're thinking about starting a business seek the advice of a professional because CRA doesn't accept I didn't know. Any law in Canada, actually, ignorance uh, does not work. Yeah. Ignorance is no yeah, excuse. Exactly. I didn't know is doesn't fly by them. Uh, absolutely not. No. And they're going to come after you for any back taxes, penalties, late fees. They're looking for, listen, Trudeau is spending way more than the country produces, and they're looking for every way to, to get taxes and collect fees and late fees and everything from us. So, Guys, uh, get the get the advice of a professional if you're thinking of starting a business. If you're in a sole proprietorship, talk to an accountant if you're wondering if you should go into a corporation and should you take a salary versus versus a dividend. So I hope this was really uh, a wealth of knowledge for you guys today. Thank you for listening. You can find us on YouTube uh, under John Drabano, and you can also find me on social media. Uh, Instagram, and TikTok. So that's all for today. Take care of yourself and take care of your wealth. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sam.